me, editing is what filmmaking is really all about. Because it's a, the one time you get a chance to create something out of material and actually deal directly with an audience. All the other times you're, you're sort of generating material or supplies. It's like uh, making a film is like buying lumber or cutting down trees and making, making wood out of it. Where editing is like actually constructing a house. I mean, you actually can see it and see what you're doing and deal with it. Everybody says, you know, well, the script doesn't work, but we'll fix it later. And they say, well, we're shooting this, but it isn't really working, but we'll fix it in the editing. Well, the editing is where it's got to be fixed. If it doesn't work there, the movie doesn't work. So that's, to me, the most exciting part. Hello, Star Wars fans and Moof Milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 143 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And it's Gabe. And later we are going to be talking about the mysterious, elusive, lost cut of Star Wars A New Hope. What does it mean, lost cut? What is it? Where did it come from? Where did it go? Can anyone find it? Did someone find it once? Did J.J. Abrams do it? Is Dominic Monaghan in it? We're going to be discovering everything there is to know about the Lost Cut in a little bit. And, you know, it's been kind of a slow week for Star Wars news. There hasn't been much going on. No, just a bunch of crickets and articles about how much people hate The Last Jedi still. That's about it, right? <laughs> I heard Kathy Kennedy is going to get fired <laughs> because she's doing such a lousy job. Yeah, lots of articles about her looking for a new job. Oh, let's talk about the Mandalorian. No disintegration. As you wish. And now, Boba Fett, Star Wars villain with his laser rifle. All of this because of one helmeted bounty hunter. Oh my god, the Mandalorian. It's real. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. It's like, at first, what there were whisperings, rumors, it might be about a Mandalorian or Mandalorians. And then, out of the blue, what, on Twitter? No, Instagram. We got a, a crawl from Jon Favreau, kind of. Yeah, that was, that was Wednesday night, when he gave us, like, a brief synopsis. Everyone's read it a hundred times, but you know what? Let's read it again. 
The Mandalorian. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So that, on Wednesday night, was enough to set us over the edge. Yeah, that would have been fine. They could have just left it at that. (laughs) <laughs> there has been enough sleepless nights, but oh no. Oh, then Thursday night, they give us even more. StarWars.com drops a photo of the Mandalorian telling us that production has begun on the first, the first, not the only, Star Wars live action streaming series. Then they tell us that plot description again. The series will be written and executive produced by Emmy-nominated producer and actor John Favreau, with Dave Filoni directing the first episode. Additional episodic directors include Deborah Chow, who did stuff for Jessica Jones, Rick Famiyua, who directed Dope, Bryce Dallas Howard, Ron Howard's daughter, and Thor Ragnarok director Taiki, how do you pronounce his last name, Watiti? YTT? I think YTT, yeah. Oh, it'll be executive produced by John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Kath Kennedy, and Colin Wilson. Karen Gilcrest will serve as co-executive producer. Stay tuned for StarWars.com for updates. Oh, we sure will. <laughs> I'll never turn it off. Oh. Yeah, crazy stuff. It's not how I would have expected. Like, usually they announce the cast first, and this is kind of they're announcing the directors. But, man, it's exciting because... We thought maybe Dave Filoni would get to do some live action stuff. And now we know that he is going to do some live action stuff. It's kind of neat. I think for them to be doing live action shows seems like in hindsight, maybe before they did Star Wars stories, this is the way to go because it gives them a chance to kind of either try out smaller name directors, but then also on the flip side, they maybe they can get bigger name directors who don't have the time to commit to the whole production of a giant Star Wars movie, but they could come in and do an episode or two of a TV show. And I wonder, too, how much of The Mandalorian existed way back with Josh Trank's standalone movie. Is this a concept that has always been the Star Wars TV show, or was some of this, I wonder in some sort of state even back then? Maybe, because I, I know some people were passing around, I think on, on Twitter and on Facebook, the picture, uh, some of the concepts from the Star Wars thirteen thirteen game when they changed the main character to be young Boba Fett. There's some similar some similarities with the design. Remember the rumors way, way back about the Boba Fett movie, how it was going to be Boba Fett, but it wasn't going to be Boba Fett in the armor. Was it going to be someone else who stole his armor? You know, and a lot of that lined up with the weird, it's Boba Fett, but it's not Boba Fett thing from the Aftermath books, too. Yeah, so maybe bits and pieces of all those things have kind of been reassembled by Jon Favreau into what The Mandalorian has become. It'll be interesting to have... A show starring someone that wears a helmet, if they'll actually wear the helmet all the time, or will they constantly be taking it off so you can see whatever actor it is? I don't This photo of the Mandalorian, though, it's like, you know, and I've never been wacky for Boba Fett. I like Boba Fett just fine. I'm not like a Boba Fett. But there's Boba Fett people, and I don't think either of us are Boba Fett people, but we like Boba Fett. Yeah. This photo is one of the coolest things 
ever created. I forgot what I was going to say because I keep looking at it. It's it's very simple, very minimal suit, and I the helmet is super shiny, and I'm really into that. And he's got triangles on his gloves, and I'm into that too. Yeah, and and they have gloves over gloves. I don't know if you noticed that because for a second I was like, oh, maybe it's some crazy alien, and 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 then you look at the fingers, and nope, it's just glo- fingerless gloves over gloves. Actually, if anything about the the Mandalorian is they really like to they like layers. Because he's got like three shirts on and two pairs of gloves. I'm afraid to talk about it. It frightens me and it scares me. His blaster rifle over his shoulder, the the end we can see, it's exactly like holiday special Boba Fett. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, I was thinking, oh, it's like two tubes or either of the two tubes rifles. But you're right. It is like holiday special Boba Fett, too. Maybe he'll get a trident. Maybe he'll come in riding a pink dinosaur. If there was ever a, a time for pink dinosaur riding bounty hunters, this is the show. You want to get my $8 a month? Show me the pink dinosaurs. <laughs> show me the pink dinosaur. I was curious about the show and excited to have a Star Wars show, but I wasn't sure how excited I was about Mandalorian stuff. But now that I see this picture, I'm excited about Mandalorian stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the fact that they call him a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy. So it's like the man with no name. It's Clint Eastwood. It's like the old West. It's like gun smoke. Just a, a bad dude rolling through a town. Oh, I keep wondering, too, if like they're going to do the thing where the Mandalorian is the main character, but the, each episode is really just about whoever the Mandalorian happens to run into that episode. So it kind of gives them a, a way to do kind of like how Clone Wars would jump around and each episode could be about different characters in the universe. But the kind of the thing that ties them all together is just the Mandalorian shows up as opposed to like Rebels where it was like all about the crew of the ghost and you kind of followed the same characters through the whole series. Like is the Mandalorian the only thread that ties between all the episodes? And maybe the Mandalorian doesn't even talk. I would be into that. I would be too. It's like there's trouble. We gotta we gotta hire the Mandalorian. Well, and with this list of directors too, already from that, you can kind of get the sense that perhaps every episode will be a slightly different style, which I think it almost should. Like I love that idea of maybe he just rolls into a different town each week. There's so much to be excited about, so much to look forward to. Live action. Dave Filoni is exciting. Watiti doing Star Wars is exciting. Bryce Dallas Howard, Deborah Chow, who did Jessica Jones, the guy that did Dope. I don't know. I would watch the Star Wars TV show if it was just an hour of the Star Wars logo, like a screensaver spinning in a circle. <laughs> Changing color. I'd be like, this is the greatest show I've ever seen. This is, yeah, Define expectations. I don't know. I can't even. Yeah, it's really happening. A live action Star Wars show. George Lucas has to be super excited. Like his dream has finally come true since he's been talking about big budget TV shows and bringing Star Wars to the big to, to the little screen. What since two thousand five? It's really going to be here. It's exciting. And yeah, I just can't wait to see stuff in motion. Show me some creatures. Oh, some droids. Forget about it. <laughs> And I, it freaks me out thinking of celebration. You know, there's going to be a panel. That's why it's five days. 
there's going to be some kind of crazy Dave Filoni, John Favreau, all the directors coming out panel. They're probably going to show the first episode. People are going to be losing their minds on top of episode nine and Clone Wars. And if they bring back the costume display and they have that Mandalorian suit on display, people are going to be passing out. On top of episode nine, the final installment of the Skywalker saga. Let's not talk about celebration anymore. (laughs) It's it's too intense. It's terrifying. There's no time for sleep. There's no time to eat. There's just trailers to watch. Oh, Mandalorian. I'm still staring at that helmet. Just so happy it's just metal. A little bit of Django going on. Uh, When can we get a t-shirt? Somebody call Steve Sansweet. Wake him up. Tell him we need a t-shirt. I don't even make shirts anymore. We don't care. (laughs) You know somebody to call. Call somebody. We need the shirt that says the Mandalorian on it. I'm ready. I'm on board. Mandalorian. And who knows what they'll release tomorrow. So let's hope. Let's hope we get at least a week to soak this in before uh, things get crazier. All bets are off at this point. Solo's out on Blu-ray. Resistance will have been on TV by the time this episode airs. It's just going to be... oh. Getting into the wild times. Uh, it's too bad nobody likes Star Wars anymore. It's too bad. It's just going to shrivel up and die. One helmeted bounty hunter that looked unbelievably cool has spawned an entire, you know, mythology within this bigger mythology. An entire race of people, Fandalorians, you know, it's amazing. And the word Mandalorian never appears in a Star Wars film. So Resistance came out first episode on Sunday night. Let's talk a little bit of Resistance. It's the Resistance. Resistance, yeah. I am with the resistance. I was listening to some of the press coverage, like the the press conference thing for resistance, and it got me thinking how they were talking about the show is set six months before The Force Awakens, and that eventually the timeline will cross over with Force Awakens. And then that got me thinking about how The Last Jedi is like the day after The Force Awakens. Right, you can't cross over into Force Awakens timeline without bumping immediately into Last Jedi timeline. Two things came to mind. The show looks really happy and cheery and bright and colorful and fun, but eventually Hosnian Prime and all the planets of the Republic are going to get blown up. And eventually Starkiller Base will get blown up. And either later that day or the same day, the Rebel Base or Resistance Base on Dakar is going to get blown up. Things will get really interesting on resistance and at what time in resistance are we going to be telling stories in a post last Jedi timeline? That's like potentially season two, right? If not even, because what they say? There's 22 episodes in season one. What they could be the force awakens by the end of season one. So potentially resistance has the potential to kind of be the lead up to episode nine to fill in the backstory a little bit. Which, man, we still don't know how far after 8, Episode 9 is. 
Because it could be one year, it could be two years, it could be ten years, it could be the next day again. <laughs> we have no clue at this point. By the end of the second season of Resistance, we'll be like five years past episode nine, even though episode nine <laughs> hasn't come out yet. You just got to figure it out. Yeah. It also creates a really good possibility for some cool cameos in Resistance with Rose and Paige or Tally or Snap Wexley. Asty. Mr. Bones, Maz, any of the pirates from Maz's castle. GA-97 could show up. He could be the star. He could be a racer. Man, maybe there'll be... Uh, I wonder if we'll get any similar... I mean, there's pod racer droids in it. Maybe we'll get, like, Ben Quadraneros' son. <laughs> Kylo Quadraneros. Han Quadraneros will be uh, one of the racers. <laughs> I mean, we've already seen Phasma's in it, Kylo's shuttle's in it, so it's definitely going to be interacting with what's going on right before Force Awakens. Hux will probably be in it. Hux and Snoke, just talking on the phone. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to see the purple uh, the purple spooky dudes that hang out with Snoke. Oh, oh, Maybe we'll have a whole episode just about the purple spooky dudes, what they do, where they go. Kennedy could be in it. He's t- oh, God, he should. He really should. Mm-hmm. Cartoon Kennedy. We need to scramble out fighters. No, no Five shit. bloody minutes ago. Please, please, please. Please, Luke. Please, Lucasfilm. <laughs> Who do I have to write a letter to? <laughs> For Cartoon Kennedy screaming on the phone. Please, 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 please. What are we waiting for? Fire on the base! Please, please. Resistance, please. We're, we're living in a crazy time. <laughs> Yeah, we can't just enjoy our Mandalorian photo because Resistance starts in the mere hours. Deflect the shields up at maximum. Of course they are. We're still in October, and that means only one thing. Snoketober. Fest. It's taking the world by storm. The whole world. The planet Earth. Snoketoberfest. Everybody's talking about it. People are uh, planning their parties, sending out cards. People calling into work. I quit. It's Snoketoberfest. <laughs> so just like last week, every single week in October, we are highlighting a classic Snoke line all leading up to a Snoke celebration at the end of the month, an all-Snoke episode. But I wonder what the classic Snoke line this week is going to be. Hmm. Hmm. There's only one way to find out. Such spunk. Snoketoberfest. Get ready for next week. <laughs> It'll be here before you know it. Snoketoberfest. Send us photos of your parties. Your Snoketoberfest parties, your banners. Any cakes you baked, cookies, Snoketober treats. (laughs) Contact at BlastPointsPodcast.com. Send us photos. Snoketoberfest. From Kenner's Star Wars collection, the Darth Vader TIE Fighter. Careful, Luke. We've got company. X-Wing fighter and action figure sold separately. Batteries not included. Darth Vader's TIE Fighter has flashing light, action sound. Luke's force is strong, but we've got him now. Oh, no, you don't. We've lost our shoulder panels. Perfect hit. I'll be back. Kenner's Star Wars Darth Vader TIE Fighter. X-Wing fighter and action figure each sold separately.
the whole process of editing is a process of paring the film down and keeping all the relevant material and getting rid of all the material that uh, doesn't work for one reason or another. It's like molding a piece of clay. You know, somebody's thrown you some clay, there's a parameter of the clay, but you need to start manipulating it to turn it into something. Well, we say, you know, it's not what you thought you shot, it's what you in fact shot, and, and try to um, proceed based on what you really have and where the life is and where the interest is rather than where you had hoped it was when you'd written the script. Every director faces this at some point. You, you critique your film and you realize perhaps that you, you just can't put everything in it you want to because it will weaken the storyline rather than strengthen it. Once you get the film cut into one piece and you look at it, uh, inevitably there are things that uh, the director falls in love with that uh, really in the long run don't have much to do with the story. At a certain point in the evolution of the film, you have to stand back and say, what is there in this film that I like just because I'm me, that I have a personal attachment to, and what are the things in the film that are really essential for the film to tell its story? And is it relevant to the story, or is it um, taking us off on a, on a sidetrack that I may like very much, but which uh, the audience probably wouldn't be interested in? So much of what we know, the feeling of a Star Wars movie, what makes a Star Wars movie, what just feels like Star Wars when you sit down to watch a new Star Wars whatever. I mean, this will be a thing in The Mandalorian is the pace, that very unique way of telling a Star Wars story that George Lucas perfected with help from his editors from A New Hope, Paul Hirsch, Richard Chu, Marsha Lucas... It's that faster, more intense, very unique style. Yeah, just enough information and then move on to something else. It was a far extreme in THX 1138. He dialed it back a little bit in American Graffiti, and it kind of stayed in that same area in Star Wars. Though American Graffiti is set on Earth and Star Wars is who knows where. It made it all even kind of weirder, but it's really hard to imagine A New Hope but not told in that style. Told in a much more normal person movie style. In a slower, kind of more deliberate pace. But that does kind of exist out there, and Star Wars did exist in that form for a little bit, until Lucas freaked out <laughs> and changed everything. And that version is what kind of has now been commonly referred to as the infamous lost cut of star wars which before we go any further we've got to give a shout out to the fantastic david west reynolds who is an archaeologist and a maniac and the original star wars wizard he's the creator of the format of the star wars visual dictionary books he found the lars homestead way back in the mid 90s and i think back in our marsha lucas episode i talked about how I had a life-changing conversation with him back in 2002. <laughs> but he wrote an article in Star Wars Insider. What number is it? Star Wars Insider 41. Where he talks about how he found at Lucasfilm 13 reels just in a box somewhere. And he watched them on like an editing machine at Skywalker Ranch of the black and white lost cut of A New Hope. But before we dig into the meat of the lost cut, let's 
go into a little bit of background on how we got to the Lost Cut. Let's go back to October 1975. Star Wars is in pre-production, and things are really not going too well. Fox just lost a ton of money on this movie called Lucky Lady, and the studio placed a moratorium on the Star Wars. People would basically get paid, but nothing more would happen. And the movie could very easily have just been shut down completely. And the fate of the Star Wars would not be decided until a Fox Board of Directors meeting in December. So John Barry, who's out there working, got 10% of his art department budget completely slashed without telling him. And George Lucas had to then go through the script of the Star Wars and figure out how to cut costs and scale things way, way back. So originally Alderaan was going to be in the movie. That's out. A lot more sets, a lot more sequences, all had to go. Original director of photography, Jeffrey Unsworth, who shot 2001 and Superman and Zardoz, he had to back out and he was replaced by Gilbert Taylor. The original editor of A New Hope, Richard Chu, who was going to be working with Marsha, even though Marsha was, I think she was working on New York, New York for Scorsese at the time too. They had to be replaced by a local guy, this guy, John Jimpson, who at the time he had edited A Hard Day's Night. And he sat down with Lucas and they talked and things seemed okay. This guy's going to edit the Star Wars. So flash forward to April 1976. Lucas is filming in Tunisia. He's miserable. And rushes are being sent to Jimson in the UK. And he starts cutting it all together by himself. Now, Lucas had not even seen any dailies that they filmed up until that point until he saw John Jimson's first cut. And George Lucas was not happy. In Rinsler's Making of Star Wars book, there's a quote from Lucas talking about John Jimson where he says, Jimson is in an impossible position, cutting material I haven't even talked to him about. It's totally unfair for me to judge him now. But then John Barry is quoted as saying, I think the editor is very unsympathetic to George. His films were all were always private before. Because of the low budgets, no one has seen them. So George is now fairly touchy about people seeing his rushes, and I can understand his point of view. He knows what he's going to do with it, but someone else might ask, well, why does it look like that? He doesn't want people to start losing confidence in him or the picture. It had to be a weird situation to get all this footage of a movie that is really only like 50% there without the effects and any description of why are all these little people in robes walking around? Why are people talking to trash cans and gold suits of armor people? This John Jimson was just getting sent this footage and he's just used to making normal movies. Cut it like a normal, the best you can to make sense out of this insanity. So flash forward to May 1976. George Lucas fires John Jimson. Marsha, like we said, she's off working on all kinds of other stuff. She came on. They found Paul Hirsch, who had just finished editing Carrie for Brian De Palma. Brian and I had a cut of Carrie, and we showed it to George and Marsha. Now, George had had a bad time in England with his editor there, and the editor who put together the, the first cut was let go at the end of Principal Photography. George was very troubled by the shape that the picture was in, 
and he came through New York. We showed him Carrie, and then a few weeks later, I got a call from Marsha saying, can you come help us out on Star Wars? I think we worked separately for a while. I was given the last third of Luke's final trench run. Marsha and I and George spent about three or four days until we finally locked the sequence. I never saw the picture while I was working on it. I would say, George, I'd like to sit down and run the whole picture. He said, no, 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 we don't have time. Just take the next reel. So every reel was a surprise to me. When I finished the reel, I'd grab a new reel to cut. I'd watch it, and I'd go, wow, you know. They brought in Richard Chu, and then all of them begin starting from scratch and re-editing everything that John Jimson did. Paul Hirsch, of course, goes on to win the Academy Award with Marsha and Richard Chu for Star Wars that week, that year, and... John Jimson goes on to do A Fish Called Wanda, and he did a bunch of stuff. He did uh, he worked with Frank Oz on his movie In and Out. So he did okay. He probably walked away from this whole Star Wars thing being like, I have no clue. So what is the lost cut of Star Wars, the John Jimson version of Star Wars? According to David West Reynolds, it was never a finished version. It contains about 30 to 40% different footage, longer takes, cuts, additional stuff. What David West Reynolds describes his scene was silent, all in black and white. And at the time of his article in Star Wars Insider 41, almost none of it had ever been seen. But now I feel like some of it has come out, right? Wouldn't you say? Some of it has, but I want to say, I mean, a lot of it hasn't because... Some of the more intact deleted scenes kind of exist um, now with the Blu-rays coming out. And then some of the, well, I guess probably the first time people saw any of the, this lost cut was, was it the CD-ROM that had the the black and white footage of the, some of the big stuff and the Luke on Tatooine looking up at the space battle. Yeah. Behind the magic, the insider's guide to Star Wars. For Windows 95, 98. I bought that just for those deleted scenes. <laughs> but just, you know, looking at the some of the stills they got in the Insider, which it's interesting in Insider that they were able to get the color prints of shots from this cut. But I think some of the stuff we still really haven't seen, at least in motion, right? Like some of the goofing around with Han and Luke, or it's a lot of goofing around them, goofing around in the hallways of the Death Star. It's one of those things that it's there and people have seen it and put it on a disc. <laughs> we want to see it. According to Reynolds' article, it's more documentary-like. It's something when the Blu-rays came out and you get that first deleted scene from A New Hope of Luke on like the moisture evaporator fields. And he is like messing around with that droid and he's looking up at the, the Star Destroyer battle. I remember watching that those deleted scenes when I came out and be like, wow, this is awesome, but this is more weird than weird. This is weirder than Star Wars. <laughs> it was like weird in a different way than Star Wars weird. Well, come on, get in gear. <laughs> yeah, well, some of those scenes like with the with his friends and stuff, it's like it turns into space American graffiti 
it's a very different thing than what you get in the rest of the movie. Hey, come on, shape it up, you guys. Vince! Hey! hey I didn't know you were back. Hey, come on. Maybe just now. Okay, okay, okay. I never expected you to be out working. <laughs> well, the Academy didn't change you, but... Oh, I almost forgot. There's a battle going on right here in our system. Not again. Come Forget up. it. What's all the noise about? Can you come back down here and play the game? I think Wormy's got too much sun. But I still, whenever I, even now looking at some of these pictures, like, it's always strange and exciting. Like, you've seen a movie so many times that you see any image that is different from what you've seen a hundred times. It makes me feel weird inside in a good way. It's like looking at pictures from a dream. It's familiar, but it's still very foreign. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It is. Yeah, it's like, am I sleeping right now? Because it looks like Star Wars, but I've never seen this before. Well, even like the fact that in this early version and what what John Jimson put together, that it did start cross-cutting to Luke on Tatooine. And that would have been our introduction to Luke Skywalker right away in the very beginning of the movie. That even is an example of how at one time Star Wars could have been a much more traditional, normal movie. Even the, the anchorhead part with Luke and Biggs, you would have gotten to know Luke Skywalker much better and much earlier in the film instead of the 20, 25 minutes in when we meet Luke just randomly as the sand crawler pulls up. And we don't really know who this guy is. And our first major emotional moment with Luke is the binary sunset. It's a much more untraditional way to be introduced to our main character. But that kind of set the tone for Star Wars in an untrad untraditional way to tell stories yeah of of any change to the that original movie that would potentially probably have been the biggest change to the feel of the whole thing because yeah the fact that you don't even realize who the main character is until like 20 minutes into the movie just totally adds to that whole otherworldliness of you know why am i following these robots what does this have to do with anything when you've got to think too like this fox board of directors Going and watching these cuts of these movies, or even, you know, the the famous story like we did in our Spielberg episode when Lucas showed his cut to all of his buddies. Yeah, for the first 20 minutes, it's two droids arguing in the desert and a guy in a black mask yelling at people in the hallway. <laughs> you don't even meet your main character. It's crazy. It would have made more sense if you would have asked a normal person, like, should I leave all the parts with Luke talking to his buddies in there in the beginning? Everyone would have said, well, of course, because that's your main character. I've missed you, kid. Yeah, well, things haven't been the same without you, Biggs. It's been so quiet. <laughs> Luke? I didn't come back just to say goodbye. I shouldn't tell you this, but you're the only one I can trust. See, I may never come back, and I just want someone to know. What are you talking about? I made some friends at the academy. When our frigate leaves for one of the central systems, we're going to jump ship and join the Alliance. The Rebellion? Quiet down. You got a mouth bigger than meteor. I'm quiet, I'm quiet. Listen to how quiet I am. You can barely hear me. So some of the major things of the Lost Cut, like we said, Biggs, Luke, and Anchorhead, Human Jabba was always part of that. Yeah, and I think it's funny now, you know, living in the future when there's been like three different versions of the CG Java, like just how wild human Java was and how much of a mystery human Java was back then where 
you heard about it and there were you there were bits and pieces of it in different videos remember i think at some point i think it's still on youtube somebody went and took all the different clips from all the different sources and like spliced it together into a continuous scene because until that point you could only see it in little bits and pieces in different formats no one had the full scene uh yeah human java right here java i've been waiting for you have you not? You didn't think I was going to run, did you? Ah, my boy. There are times you disappoint me. Why haven't you paid me? Why did you have to fry poor Greedo like that? After all, we had been through together. Look, Chopper, next time you want to talk to me, come see me yourself. Don't send one of these twerps. Han. Han. Understand. I just can't afford to make exceptions. Never had an action figure of human Jabba, and that's like the biggest crime ever. And we've been to a lot of celebrations, and I've never seen anyone walking around as human Java. There's still time before Chicago. <laughs> get your human Java costume. Just get some fur. The cantina scene that has showed up, I think it's on the Blu-ray set, and it's it's on YouTube. I believe that's from The Lost Cut. But that, I think, is the clearest example of the original version of the cantina before Lucas went back and shot all the restuff with Rick Baker's creatures that he came in with to kind of spice up the cantina all the stuff they did in california later it's like the uk cantina version because there's like bug aliens but even that is like a perfect example of the not fast not intense version that star wars once existed in where the dialogue between like ben kenobi and han solo is like really slow well that's the real trick these days and it's going to cost you something extra Altogether, 10,000 in advance. 10,000? We're going to almost buy our own ship for that. Yeah, but who's going to fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. We don't have to sit here and listen. We can pay you 2,000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17, huh? Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. Well, and that's, I think, the other interesting thing, reading um, the descriptions from uh, from David Reynolds, is just how much more care in this cut was put into, like, geography and spatial relationships and, like, following characters from scene to scene, like, in a, in a very logical way. Like, how they, after Han shoots Greedo, the camera kind of follows the guy out of the bar who goes outside and tells the stormtroopers what's going on. And the droids, you know, see him talking to the stormtroopers, like how it's it flows more like maybe yeah, a normal story where you want to know what's going on as a fo- as opposed to just kind of being bombarded with images and scenes uh, the way the final movie is. The George Lucas style, like we were saying, just to, to give you just enough and let you figure out what's going on <laughs> to always leave you a little confused. You can figure it out later when you get home. Also, uh, the problem was also that we had too much information. Okay. And uh, an audience has no way of evaluating what information is important and what is not unless we give it a certain emphasis and focus. And I think the problem that we just resolved in the last pass through was we focused the story much more and uh, simplified, sort of streamlined the information so that we weren't distracting the audience with a lot of information that really didn't matter. And it featured a lot of much more experimental effects with 
one of my favorites is uh, Luke and 3PO on the land speeder with a projected background behind them. Oh, Ben lives out in this direction somewhere. It's just, I don't see how that R2 unit could have come this far. We must have missed him. Uncle Owen's not going to take this very well. What did Tell people told him it was my fault? Sure, he needs you. Probably only deactivate you for a day or so. Which I thought was really interesting because, like, just last week we were talking about how on Solo they did projected backgrounds, like outside the Falcon and stuff, and <laughs> it's come it's come all the way back around. Yeah, because like we've seen the the land speeder stuff from because uh, that was on the what, Empire of Dreams on the Blu-ray set was the first time we saw those. But it was interesting to hear that they had a lot of in-camera space stuff in the Falcon cockpit. And I don't think we've ever seen any footage or stills from that, which that is where we, yeah, we are full circle back to them doing that now with solo. Cause in his description, he makes it seem like those, those ones with the Falcon actually looked good, at least in low res scratched up black and white with no sound. And he talks about how there was a lot more comedy in the lost cut. Like we were saying, Luke and Han and Leia, when they're walking through the Death Star hallways, and there's a part where they're like walking through and whistling. Mm-hmm. And some of it ended up <laughs> in the, the holiday special with the, the little Flash Gordon alien running through like a street and Mos Eisley and running into like a big alien with just giant legs and stuff. The really goofy stuff. That's, it's been there. It didn't just happen in uh, the prequels. It's always been there beneath the surface. I was really confused, too, with... The article, because he's talking about how there's a part in it with Chewbacca growling at the mouse droid. And again, back in our Marsha Lucas episode, where I remember that being like a Marsha Lucas suggestion. But then also you read online that in some versions, when the movie was released in 77, Chewbacca growling at the mouse droid was not in every version, which we know back in our Monomix episode that there were several different versions of A New Hope playing simultaneously in 77 and 78. So were there versions of A New Hope out there playing that didn't always have Chewie growling at the mouse droid? And has it just become so common with every VHS release and stuff since then that now we just assume it's always been in there? Uh, maybe. So many versions. One of the things I thought was was pretty interesting is there's the extra scene... They talk about after the uh, tie attack, basically, where Han and Luke are kind of complimenting each other in the hallway of the Falcon and kind of have like a, a little moment there. I thought that was interesting because that's pretty much what happens in Force Awakens with Ray and Finn. Oh, yeah. When J.J. came on to do Force Awakens, did he get to did he go back and watch the Lost Cut? Like, is that what you get to do when you're uh, you get hired? You get to go watch all the all the weird stuff in the archive? Because even looking at the still frame they have of it, like it seems very similar to that scene where they're both so excited that they uh, pulled off their their tie attack. Well, reading the article too, and thinking about what they're saying, how it contained a lot of a lot more extended, longer takes, more dialogue explaining clearly what's going on. It made me think a lot too about that bizarre footage that John Knoll showed at Celebration Orlando. I tell you, he's gone too far. This Sith Lord sent by the Emperor will be our undoing. Until this battle session is fully operational, we are vulnerable. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. 
I'm more dangerous than you realize. Dangerous to your Starfleet, Commander, not to this battle station. The rebellion will continue only as long as those rebels have a sanctuary. I think the construction of this station has more to do with Governor Tarkin's bid for recognition than any prudent military strategy. The rebellion will continue to maintain support in the Imperial Senate. The Imperial Senate. But that was all in color, and it looked pretty good. I remember even that kind of being like, whoa, 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 what's this? And how much more of this is out there? Well, that's the thing. It's like the the lost cut is in black and white because they just use the just the rush footage. So the color footage for all those scenes exists, which is how they got the stills for the magazine. So I thought wasn't the John Knoll stuff just they were they went back through. All the cut footage because they were looking for stuff to use for Rogue One. I mean, that's where they found all the the alternate takes of of uh, Gold Leader and all that stuff, right? So maybe they rescanned a bunch of stuff. Then yeah, where, but yeah, when are we going to get to see it? Where's the, maybe where's the deleted scenes channel and the and the Disney the Disney streaming? So potentially there could be like a color version of the John Gibson cut. Of Star Wars, a completely different Star Wars that is Star Wars with different effects. Yeah, because potentially the footage would exist for a lot of that stuff. And yeah, someone would just have to pull those frames and edit it together. Yeah, it's just it still blows my mind that we're now, what, 40 years in and everyone wants to see this stuff and there's still stuff they are holding out on. You would have thought that every like every frame of film would have been available in some something at this point and there's still things you can't even can't even youtube doesn't even have them well it's something i was thinking about too with the lost cut is imagine star wars without the wipe cuts where it relies so heavily on those soft slow wipe cuts to take you from one place to another or one scene to another but if the whole movie especially that movie was just boom 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 hard cuts here we go. Would they kind of like in Last Jedi, would Last Jedi have like two or three wipe cuts where you couldn't even really, yeah, like I still to this day couldn't even tell you where they are. But I think on like my fourth or fifth time watching it, I finally noticed the wipes in Last Jedi. But I feel like the new Star Wars movies are moving farther away from wipes, which kind of makes me sad because I always like how bizarre wipes are in Star Wars. But still, that's something completely bizarre in Star Wars that he took from Kurosawa that is uniquely Star Wars. I remember being a kid and always thinking, like, what is going on? Why is, you know, why did just like a windshield wiper go across the screen? (laughs) The use of wipes in Star Wars made sense because the film itself was sort of a throwback to a Saturday afternoon serial. So stylistically, it made sense. It's a way of introducing motion into an otherwise static transition. I mentioned it to George, and he said, yeah, but they should all be soft-edged. Kirshner was a real character. He looked at a sequence I had cut once of Han Solo goes out in the snowstorm to rescue Luke, angle after angle of Han dragging Luke in the snow, and the snow's blowing, and he's pulling him up a hill, and Kirsch looks at it, and he turns to me, and he holds up one finger, and he says, physical difficulty is boring. And I thought, you know, he's right. We just cut it all down and it worked much better. Yeah, I wonder if one day would something like this, something as bizarre and obscure as this ever come out? Or do you think like the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray 
which maybe we got some of this is like the closest we're ever going to get. I don't know if the assembled version of all that stuff, if if there's a market for it, honestly, besides a bunch of weirdos. But I think it would it would be interesting. It'd be fascinating just for people to watch it, just to be able to appreciate the skill of editing that Hirsch, Marsha and Rich Chu did to make that movie what it is. Yeah, I would I would love to see this stuff. I got to think that there's people that would want to see this. I mean, I'd watch all the prequels with just the blue screen backgrounds <laughs> and no effects. So maybe I'm not the good person to ask. But yeah, just as a historical thing or as a educational thing, people like Star Wars so much, they should just let you have access to all the footage. You can make your own cut. <laughs> it's like just put it all on, on StarWars.com and let you edit your own Star Wars cut. My dream would be all six, at least of the or the original Star Wars movies, put them out individually in like their own DVD box set or Blu-ray box set, where it's like five disc box set of just A New Hope. Here's the closest thing we can get to a theatrical release. Here's a rough cut, lost cut version for to compare and maybe get Paul Hirsch is still out there. Heck, Marsha's still out there. They're all still out there. Get them to do a commentary on it. It's never going to happen, but, you know, have them talk about the evolution of that film. That would be fascinating. Do that for Empire. Do that for Jedi. Even Phantom Menace and Attack the Clones and Sith. No, that would be great. Just because there's so much, I mean, we talk about it all the time. There's so much stuff out there that's you can find on YouTube and other things. There's all the stuff on the uh, digital versions of the Rinsler books. And then there's even the things, there's like the trailers and things like a lot of those are not necessarily on the discs or maybe they're on the Laserdisc or the DVD or the Blu-ray, but there isn't like the ultimate version to get all that stuff in one place. And yeah, I think people would go nuts if you could just get a five disc version of each movies with everything, put the soundtracks on there, put it all TV commercials, radio commercials, toy commercials, put it all on there. Rub on tattoos, <laughs> sweatbands, eye patches, wax lips, goofy teeth, <laughs> a rubber Peter Cushing mask. Where is yeah? Where's the the New Hope box set that comes in a in a Peter Cushing head, a giant rubber Peter Cushing head? That's what people want. He pulled the discs out of his mouth. He pulled the disc out, and it says, "God bless you." <laughs> Check some of the footage is out there on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, we'll try to remember to link it up in the in the episode show notes, and we'll post some on the like. The, our Facebook pages and the Facebook group and stuff. It's fascinating to check out and, you know, get out your Blu-ray again and get out those deleted scenes, especially for A New Hope. There's a lot of them on there. And sometimes it's easy to forget about the gold that's on those Blu-ray sets, you know? At some point, it all kind of blurs together and you can't remember if you really saw it or if it was a dream or both. If you were dreaming while you were watching it. If you've been brave enough to make it through all of those making of special features on all those discs (laughs) oh that's good stuff so yeah always a good time to go back and look at that stuff and well and if you have your old issues of uh, star wars insider or have a way to dig them up definitely check out uh issue 41 and read the whole article on the lost cut as well fascinating stuff I don't think there's any way anyone working on Star Wars could have known or predicted what became of it. The fact that it's now so significant, 
I don't know that of other films that have had such an impact on the culture. The most rewarding experience I've ever had would be Star Wars, where I won the Academy Award. I've been dining out on it ever since. It sort of came to me early in my career. I was 31 years old. It was an extraordinary stroke of luck to have that come along at that point in my life. He was young, but he was ready. Ready to leave his home and everything he'd known to join the fight against the Empire. Armed with his father's lightsaber, he fought for his life, his friends, and the lovely Princess Leah. Luke Skywalker was ready. Luke Skywalker is back. Star Wars is back. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. All right, iTunes reviews. We had so many last week, and we've got one this week. What's going on with that? So we have one here entitled Please Read by Bub Majif. Bub Majif. And they say, this podcast is amazing. I listen to it while I work. Best Star Wars podcast in the galaxy. Hey, can you guys do an episode on droids in general, not the cartoon? And your top 10 favorites. Thanks for the laughs and fun times. Yes, we can. That that will happen. It's going. Yeah, it has been on the list for a long time, and we are going to do an episode on droids, not the cartoon. The cartoon may come back again one day when you least expect it, <laughs> and not just the general general grievous of the droids, but droids in general. Yes, we will. There's just there's so much stuff out there, so we're working on it. We'll get there. There's so much going on. The Mandalorian. Yeah, have you seen The Mandalorian? <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Bubba Jeff. And yes, we will do an episode on droids coming up. And I always think the design of droids in general, Star Wars droids, is just fascinating. I think that would be really interesting to go into and be like, how in the heck did that happen? What are these things? And now with between Rogue One, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, and Solo, we have like... 500 more droids added to the uh, <laughs> to the list of droids to choose from. So so thank you, Bubba Jeff, again. And you should leave us an, a review, an iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever. If that's the way you listen to the show, when you're done listening, head over there, write a little something, and we'll read it on an upcoming show. Thank, thank you. you. Thank 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 you. Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. And check 
out blastpointspodcast.com for episodes, recipes, cartoons, comics, whatever. Uh, we had a really good Use the Forks recipe just uh, up last week with uh, S'more-Offs. S'more-Offs, delicious. Might, might be my favorite recipe we've had yet. I was a big fan of the Greedo Burrito. Remember that one? Yeah, that one was good too, but I don't know. Some about s'more offs. Yeah. <laughs> Can't stop thinking about s'more offs. So, and check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And make sure you join the Blast Points Super Chill Group to live and breathe Blast Points twenty four seven. Other people that listen just posting the best stuff all the time. And I'm gonna try and get resistance reviews back going again on blastpointspodcast.com. I'm going to try. I'm not making any promises. Just save them all to the end. <laughs> it's one 30-page <laughs> review at the end of the season. So that about wraps up episode 143. I am going to go watch the bizarre cantina footage and stare at a picture of the Mandalorian at the same time. I'm going to go stare at the Mandalorian's helmet and don't forget to join us again next week because it's still going to be Snoketoberfest. Start uh, your predictions. What will next week's Snoketoberfest line of the week be? Who knows? Do we even know? I don't know. What's it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so until then, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. podcast where we just interview different people and and they just tell us how they were really into lost until the last episode <laughs> and next week we talk to someone else oh i was so into it then i got to the last episode i was so mad <laughs> we don't even talk about star wars we're just talking about lost surprise may the force be with all of you